Hey, this is Mark, and you're listening to Stuff Matters. In this episode, we learn about the history and the chemistry of plastic, along with the current problems it has in today's world. Before diving in, I'd like to start things off with something a little more interactive to listeners. Take a look around you. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. 30 seconds to realize and count how much around you is made out of plastic. I'm going to start the timer now. So what's your grand total? Chances are, it's a lot. Almost everything in our day-to-day lives now is made from some kind of plastic, or has plastic in it. From your cars, to your phones, maybe you have plastic bowls or plates. Some people like to use plastic utensils all the time. We have plastic containers and drawers now. Electronics use plastic to cover their motherboards. We have reusable plastic bottles and jugs. Plastic is used for pens and even your clothes. In short, plastic is everywhere. But it didn't used to be this way. Before going into everything plastic, let's get into some news. On February 18th, NASA's Mars rover Perseverance finally landed after its initial launch on July 30th, 2020. Its mission is simple, as it is to bring rocks and soil back to Earth while also looking for signs of life on the planet Mars. The fuel behind Perseverance is that it carries a radioisotope power system. This power system produces a dependable flow of electricity using the heat of plutonium's radioactive decay. This power source is called a Multi-Mission Radioisotope Thermoelectric Generator, or MMRTG for short. The MMRTG converts heat from the natural radioactive decay of plutonium into electricity. This power system charges the rover's two primary batteries. The heat from the MMRTG is also used to keep the rover's tools and systems at their correct operating temperatures. So in case you missed it, these MMRTGs take the heat from the decaying plutonium's radioactivity because the radioactive plutonium isotope decays over time, and whenever it decays, it creates heat. This heat is then made into electricity. So yeah, the science behind the power of Mars's Perseverance rover is that it's using plutonium's radioactivity, more specifically plutonium isotope 238. All of this information was found easily on mars.nasa.gov. Now what I'm wondering is when space travel will be available. Hopefully in this lifetime. With the news done, let's get into the topic. So plastic, it's everywhere. But what is it exactly? Well, plastic is made out of polymers. Poly, meaning many, and mer meaning groups. 
Okay, but polymers of what? Many groups of what? Well, many groups of carbon. Plastics can be made out of metal, but usually they're made out of fossil fuels like oil and coal. And what happens here is that these polymer scientists take the carbon from the resource and then put the carbon into chains of carbon. Since that carbon can bond with itself and create rings, a single ring of carbon is called a monomer. And as we speak, these polymer scientists are trying to make new carbons for better plastic. That's a brief synopsis on what plastic is. We'll get into the science behind it in just a little bit. But now, let's travel back to 1800. More specifically, 1856, where Alexander Parks created Parksine, which is widely agreed to be the first thermoplastic. But Alexander Parks did not create the first usable plastic. That goes to John Wesley Wyatt in 1869. And this is the story of the first usable plastic. Here's a fun fact. Did you know that the game pool, the one with the table and the balls that you move around with a stick, was originally meant to be a miniature croquet as it was invented in England and soon localized in the West. Pool balls were originally made out of ivory, but ivory was very expensive and easy to dent since that the pool balls were always colliding. So, when pool was brought to the West, it was clear that the game would be very expensive and less accessible because of the ivory material. Felon and Colender, a manufacturer for the pool game, back then known as Billiard, were America's largest billiard supplier, and they prompted the challenge to anyone who could make a substitute for ivory. This challenge was prompted in 1856 and had a reward of $10,000, which, by the way, is a lot back then. Let's skip ahead to 1869 with John Wesley Wyatt, newspaper printer by day, chemist by night. It took Wyatt several years to come up with the new material and sent many prototypes that were used as test sets in saloons across the nation. Wyatt created the first usable plastic by using nitroglycerin, which is C3H5N3O9. This nitroglycerin is made by nitrating glycerin, which is then turned into an oily, colorless liquid that is known to come from soup manufacturers. Then it is mixed with nitric acid. However, Hyatt used nitrocellulose, a mix of wood pulp and nitric acid. He used nitric acid for the nitrocellulose because creating regular nitroglycerin is very unstable. This then creates a sort of gum cotton when dried out. In its liquid form, it is known as collodion. Now that Hyatt had this liquid, he coated wooden balls for billiards. The process for this was just putting dye into the newly made liquid and dipping the ball in for a few minutes. Thus, it would be coated in this mixture, and poof, it was as good as ivory, except it would not dent. However, this plastic that Hyatt made was very flammable, and there had been reports of fast collisions starting fires in the middle of the game. Hyatt very quickly realized that he could turn this liquid into a useful solid and shape it into anything. He called this process, wait for it, plasticization, where the liquid was added with naphtha, a solvent derived from crude oil. And just like that, plastic was everywhere. In the late 1800s, it was considered the golden age of chemical engineering as many took up understanding chemistry and had many opportunities with the newly made materials. Chemicals back then were very cheap and most sales went unregulated. 
Lots of chemists worked from their own homes, except for a scientist named Goodyear who founded rubber, a form of plastic, in prison. But we'll get to his story another time. Back to the word plastic, it is a variety of materials that are all organic, made of compounds based on carbon. Thanks to Hyatt's motive of $10,000 to find ivory substitute, we have pool balls today made of phenolic resin, a form of plastic. And there was a whole revolution of synthesizing different types of plastic we use today. We even use plastic for dead bodies. Before, they were either buried, cremated, or embalmed. Embalming is where the method was based on using alcohol or special toxic solutions like arsenic. But then a German chemist named Wilhelm von Hoffmann discovered formaldehyde which was able to preserve tissue in such a way that the deceased looked almost alive. These days, we use a technique developed by Gunther von Hagens, known as plasticization, a vacuum technique which involves silicone rubber and epoxy resin to remove water and fat from the body. Silicone rubber and epoxy resin are used in all sorts of paints and adhesives and flexible products. The plastic works just like formaldehyde except that it's able to set bodies into lifelike positions because of the plastic stiffness. Although Hyatt had created the first plastic, there were many plastic-like materials before it. As stated previously, Alexander Parks created a plastic known as Parksine, where it was made from vegetable material, but it wasn't moldable. Hyatt was curious enough to use camphor, which is an odorly gum found in wood, and he used it to make the celluloid needed. However, a man named Daniel Spill wanted it on the money, and sued Parks, and then Hyatt, stating that he created what they did first. Spill had his own commercial material, which failed. It was called Xylonite, and in the end, he was not able to convince anyone that he was the first to make the first usable plastic. In court, the judge ruled that Spill nor Hyatt were able to have patent rights over the nitrocellulose plastic, and thus sparked the plastic industry with huge competition and innovation in the 1870s. So yeah, that's your history lesson on plastic. The pool game was going bad because of ivory, and so someone said, hey, we'll give you $10,000 if you can make a substitute for ivory. And here we are, plastics everywhere. Now let's get into some science behind plastic. Polymer scientists have been able to create polyethylene, which is used to create our plastic jugs and plastic bags. It is created by extracting ethanol, usually from grains and corn and then it is added to hydroxide to have hydrogen at the end of the carbon chains. The process is that polymer scientists dehydrate ethanol to make it a monomer. Then the dehydrated ethanol is synthesized with the hydroxide and itself to create ethylene, and then polyethylene. You should note that there are two different types of polymers. There's biopolymers and regular polymers. Biopolymers are made from natural materials, so plastic made from natural things like parxine, which was said to be made from vegetable materials. And then there are polymers, which are made from a limited resource, like fossil fuels. In the world of today, we are trying to make more biopolymer plastics, but it is a very hard and expensive process. But once somebody finds a way to make it more easier, then making new carbon can reduce fossil fuel usage, no problem. The upside of extracting ethanol from plants is that plants are getting the carbon from carbon dioxide in the air. And we make carbon dioxide. So, so long as the circle of air keeps going, we make carbon dioxide, plants give us oxygen, so on and so forth. 
we technically have an unlimited supply of plastic production. Currently, polymer scientists are trying to make plastic from extra parts from crops, such as sugarcane stalks and tree bark. These bioplastics are biodependable, meaning that they will feel a lot like their dominant material. Say you have a bioplastic that's made out of 50% tree waste, like sawdust, and 50% carbon-like polyethylene. That is biodependable, meaning that the plastic will feel and kind of smell more like wood than plastic. But these bioplastics are able to be used in 3D printers. You can make bioplastics out of natural sugars and oils, and they're currently being tested to try and find the right combination of material. But to the uneducated on why we are trying to find bioplastic material, it is because plastic does not go away. It's going to last longer than any of you listening to this right now. It has a lifespan of hundreds of years, no matter the kind of plastic. And this is because it's made out of carbon, which cannot decay very quickly. Now, let's talk about plastic within the 20th century and the conspiracy it made, as well as some dangers that it has in today's world. After that history lesson, we jump to 1907, where Leo Backlin created Backlight the first fully synthetic plastic, meaning that its molecules were founded in nature, pure synthesis lab magic. With this, Hyatt and Backlin sparked a chemical motive to developing all sorts of plastics. Scientists put time and money into creating different plastics and didn't even think of the uses for it later. They just wanted to say that they were the first ones to make it. During World War II, natural resources were very costly and we needed a safe and affordable material to be an alternative. This made plastic production increase by 300%. After the war though, plastic production never slowed down. People once believed that it would save the world as the miracle substance on par with the philosopher's stone that alchemists all dreamed of. Then we take a look at the 1960s where Americans began to realize that plastic isn't biodegradable and caused environmental problems. In 1960, the image of birds with plastic in their stomach was a reality. Even with cleaning efforts and biodegradable alternatives, plastic was here to stay. To be honest, some biodegradable alternatives just don't work, like paper and metal straws. Plastic was accidentally created, and now it's not going to go away. But it always shows to be useful, and makes life a lot easier. Now, this is probably one of the more interesting parts that I'm going to share with you. There has been a conspiracy, and that is the concept of recycling. The story goes like this. The producers of plastic created what most would call a conspiracy on an attempt to calm the consumers to keep money in their pockets. By the 1970s, people began to realize that plastic wasn't going away, and the consumers were mad at the plastic producers because they were the ones who kept creating all this. Worried that these plastic producers would be out of the job very quickly, they launched these campaigns to turn the consumers towards themselves and make them feel bad, like they were the problem. For consistency, let's just call all these plastic producers Big Plastic. Big Plastic created campaigns such as Keep America Beautiful, where it showed a Native American man crying over the waste that he saw of plastic across his land. Which, by the way, the man in this commercial that aired on television was not actually Native American. Wow. 
But the message for this commercial was to make the viewer think that because they bought plastic, they were the problem. And Big Plastic was just providing what they wanted. But that was only phase one of this big plan. Now that Big Plastic got their consumers to feel bad, they then walked in with this new concept on how to keep America beautiful. Recycling. Recycling is to make us believe that plastic is not a one-time use and can be made into new products. But here's the kicker. Most of it cannot. More than 95% of plastics cannot be recycled. Do you want to know why? It's because there are so many different types of plastic. There's a vast amount of different carbon chains with different ends to them that you can't really mix match them together. If anything, you'd probably create a new plastic and even more of a problem. So the plastic cups from McDonald's cannot be recycled with your plastic bags because they have different carbon chain lengths and possibly even different ends to those chains. It's like trying to mix water and oil. They can't mix even though they're both liquids, but they have different chemical makeup. So just remember that every time you think that you're recycling plastic and saving the planet, chances are you're really not. When plastics get put into the recycling bin or even the trash, they do not get sorted out and are not put into different types of plastic categories. It's just way too expensive to hire people to sort these things. So we just continue to sit pretty thinking that the plastics are being recycled because somebody's doing it right. Wrong. But that's not to say that recycled plastic does not exist. It does, but purchasing recycled plastic just costs a whole lot more. And the reason why recycled plastic is so expensive is because the process to recycle the plastic is hard work and very expensive in its own right. Every time a plastic is recycled, it has its quality degraded. Plastic degrades in quality every time it is recycled, so it can only be reused a set number of times. But how do we deal with it? Countries like us, the US, began to simply just ship it away to another country. Out of sight, out of mind. There's a whole pile of plastic from the middle of the street. Just ship it to China. And yes, for a while, the US did ship plastic waste to China. Because labor was cheap and certain environmental laws did not exist yet. But China then found no use for the disposable plastic and stopped accepting the US's sloppy seconds for plastic. This now makes plastic pile up. And back to the birds who have plastic in their stomachs, it actually increased by 1980, 20 years later from the original study. It jumped by 80%. 80% of all birds were said to have plastic in their stomach in 1980. And take a guess to what the percentage is now in the year 2020, the most recent study. I'll give you a few seconds. In the recent study from 2020, it is confirmed that almost 97% of all birds have some kind of plastic in their system. Do you ever think of how many birds there are in the world? Big, small, cute, scary? Well, 97% of all birds have plastic in them. That's a lot of birds. With the conspiracy of recycling and big plastic manipulating its consumers, we have people like Larry Thomas, who is the former president of the Society of the Plastic Industry, or the PIA. He said that if the public thinks that recycling is working, 
then they will be less concerned about the environment. And the PIA says the conspiracy is not at all true. We also hear from figures like Steve Russell, who was once the vice president for the plastics for the American Chemistry Council. And he says that the industry has never intentionally misled the public about recycling. And they are ensuring one day that all plastic shall be recycled. Now, don't get me wrong. Because I have said that most plastics are not recycled and recycling mostly goes into landfills and the plastic industry may have manipulated, creating this whole conspiracy on recycling, that should not make you think that recycling is at all bad. No, recycling is, is very good. Recycle paper, recycle metal, and glass, and all of that. But it's plastic where it begins to be an issue, because we cannot actually recycle every single plastic. Plastic will continue to be an issue for recycling unless somebody invents the plastic trash sorting machine, and if they have enough money to buy plastic for actually good alternative purposes. But so far, it doesn't look like we're going to be there anytime soon. Plastic was invented practically yesterday, as 100 years is not anywhere long enough in terms of history. So we still do not know the long-term effects of the plastic used in our electronics, prosthetics, and medicine. Not to mention all the plastic that fits in a grocery store. Did you know that every year, the world produces 206 million tons of plastic, and 5 million of that goes into the oceans? This then creates microplastics and nanoplastics which come from regular plastic as it breaks down and is left in the environment. Remember, plastic is breaking down very slowly, but these micro and nano variants are what happens when plastic is left alone with dirt and water for extended periods of time. They have a diameter of less than 0.001 milliliters, which is very, very small. But it adds up very quickly when you consider that 206 million tons are produced every year. These things are so small that you need a microscope just to see them. And yet they are in the ocean and now we have these plastic particles going throughout the air and underneath the Arctic. Yes, I said in the air and under the Arctic. Airborne plastics do exist. Humans breathe in and eat at least 50,000 particles of microplastics every year, which now makes us the same as the birds who have plastic in their system. And scientists have gone on expeditions underneath Antarctica to only find microplastics just swimming around. So plastic is indeed everywhere. This plastic pollution is said to double by 2030. Since 1950, the world has created 6.3 billion tons of plastic, and 91% has never, ever been recycled. This will escalate as the economy increases plastic consumption, and the great plastic industry is counting on that growing demand. But here's a fun story. Lego received complaints about their single-use plastic from children, because children these days are more aware about the world around them than ever before. The LEGO Chief Executive Officer, Niels B. Christensen, responded with, We've received many letters from children about the environment, asking us to remove single-use plastic packaging. We've been exploring alternatives for some time, and the passion and ideas from children inspire us to begin to make changes. In the future, we will see LEGO be replacing its plastic packaging with paper, 
This is to note, they're changing the plastic packaging for the Legos. They're not changing the plastic for the Legos themselves. But it's a nice start, and it's not like millions of Lego blocks are being thrown into the ocean. And with all that, we are in the present day of plastic. The plastic industry no longer denies the problem and are actually trying to convince the public that plastic industries are the trusted resource to make plastic be more sustainable, despite there already being a bigger problem with micro and nanoplastics. The famous trash island, or as I call it, plastic land, can be seen from space and is always caught on cameras with satellite pictures. However, any global satellite picture that shows plastic land has permission to edit out Trash Island. Trying to close the topic on a much cheerier note, here's two great pieces of news. For one, there has been recent studies showing that there are bacteria that can actually eat plastic. These bacteria were not made in the lab, but instead naturally occurring. So now scientists are looking into bacteria eating plastic. The other piece of news is that recently a Kenyan woman learned how to make plastic into a compact brick that is much tougher than concrete. Since that plastic waste is everywhere, this creates a lot of plastic bricks. These bricks have been mainly used to create walkways, but they can be stacked on top of each other like Legos, as the machine that compacts all the plastic forms the bricks with little studs on top of it. Now that it is possible to compact all of this plastic into a brick, who knows? We may see plastic walls. With all of the plastic compact together, it does make it very heavy. But yeah, there's bacteria eating plastic, and we can compact it. Those are some of the good things to think about nowadays when it comes to the existential crisis that the plastic fork that I used earlier may just outlive me. Oh man, that was a lot of information to take in. How about a little breather? Well, let's see, what am I looking forward to in the next week? I'm currently on spring break, so I want to either A, get a lot of work done, so that way I don't have to worry about it later, or B, really read up on the book that I just bought about sailing, because one day I would really like to learn how to sail and maybe even sail across the world. I also bought these fantasy books by Terry Brooks. There's an entire series called Shannara, I think you pronounce it, and I'm a big lover of fantasy, so I can't wait to read them. And with that, I believe that's enough learning for one day. So we learned about the Mars rover and MMRTGs and how they are fueled. We also learned about the history of plastic, where it comes from, how it's made, different kinds of plastic exist, as well as some of the problems and the recycling conspiracy that surrounds the polymer. But it wasn't all bad. There's some pretty good news about bacteria eating plastic and finding new uses for it, like compacting it into bricks. Even Legos wanting to stray away from plastic by making plastic packaging. But I wonder if they'll ever manufacture a sort of paper Lego. 
or a bioplastic Lego. Can you imagine a Lego made out of vegetable materials? Tune in next time where we learn about alchemy, the predecessor to chemistry, with a lot more magic, you can say. Be sure to follow me wherever you get your podcasts, so that way you're notified when a new episode comes out. I do my best to upload every Saturday. And if you want more Stuff Matters podcasts, be sure to follow me on Twitter at underscore Stuff Matters. Maybe you have a good idea for an episode topic you'd want me to research on, or maybe you want to send me some fan mail. To reach out to me, be sure to send me an email at stuffmatterspodcast at gmail.com. I've been Mark, and thank you for listening to Stuff Matters.